Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Brendan Mortensen here alongside Tim Leonard. Uh, Paul Mancano was in Atlanta two weeks ago mm-hmm. and is unfortunately sick for today's episode of the podcast, so we wish uh, Paul a speedy recovery there. Uh, but we did have a softball game last night, Tim, yeah. that we need to update the people on. This is what everybody watches the podcast for is our softball updates. Uh, we started off strong in last yeah. night's game and then just faded at the end. Yeah, we were like the Mariners the other night. 7-1 lead at one point in this game. We yeah. lost, what, 11-7? to I think it so. bad, yeah. yeah. New team, though. I'm really feeling the energy, the vibes of the new team. There was also a pickle in last night. There game was. You were heavily involved. In. I was, yeah. So Never I was playing third it. base, had the ball. Look, I, I probably could have chased the runner down as he was going third to home, but I thought I had him by a mile by just making an easy throw to home and then an easy tag. And I'll give credit to this guy. He did full on slide. Yes. In our recreational (laughs) softball league. During a pickle. Which During I don't a pickle. know if that's ever happened. The the both teams with the hustle there is outstanding for I, rec softball. At that point, I think he was still out. But at yes. that point, you just have to respect the fact that he cared enough about whether he was out or safe in this softball game to slide. Yeah. You just have to give him a run for that. He slid. It caused like some dust and dirt to fly up. And I think that caused a distraction. And then the ump was just like, safe. That's it. That hustle points. But... See, if we had the challenge, if we had a good manager like Brandon Hyde to tease our show a little bit, yeah. who has been very good on challenges this year, then I, I think we would have won the challenge. I will say, though, I think if there was a Volo Softball Manager of the Year award, I think our manager, Nick, yes. would be up there uh, just for the walk-up songs exactly. alone. He does have some fantastic choices in walk-up songs. But that was a fantastic segue, Tim, as we are going to be talking about uh, Brandon Hyde and his chances to win the AL Manager of the Year this season. But some notes that I do want to get to first. First one being a roster move. Keegan Aiken optioned to AAA Norfolk. Logan Gillespie gets the call to Baltimore. We saw him last night, which was uh, turned out to be a really good move because the Orioles don't need to use Cianal Perez, Dylan Tate, Brian Baker, Felix Bautista in last night's victory. Logan Gillespie's a fresh arm is able to finish out last night's game. The Orioles have said that the Keegan Aiken option is a tactical move where they just needed a fresh arm in the bullpen. Keegan Aiken wasn't going to be able to throw over the next few days here. So he gets the option at AAA Norfolk. They're calling it a tactical move, Tim. Yeah. Keegan Aiken has struggled the second half of this season. Do you think we see him back in the majors? Well, we can't, right? Because 15 days, I think, the new rule this year. Unless there's an injury, I guess, for the Orioles. Because yeah. he goes down, he has to be down there for 15 days. The other thing is, we'll talk about this with Grayson Rodriguez, but AAA Norfolk season is over on Wednesday. So, this is basically just ending Keegan Aiken's season, I think, in a way. Because I don't know if it's worth even pitching him in Norfolk when the season ends tomorrow. And he's probably just getting down there. Today, he just threw... 
what was it, in that Sunday or Saturday game, whenever he let up the runs there and the bases loaded, no out jam that he came in against the Astros, which were all unearned runs. Maybe one of them was earned. But anyway, Saturday. Yeah. yeah, Saturday, that crazy game. So it's basically ending his season. Um, I guess if the Orioles have an injury, they will have the ability to call him back up. But with that 15-day rule, there's only, what, nine days left in the season now. So it effectively ends his season. A very weird season, very up yeah. and down excellent first half of the year and when you look at his numbers it's kind of interesting because he threw about as many strikes as any reliever in baseball this year threw a ton of innings in the first half of the year less in the second half of the year and it just feels like not that he got lucky in the first half but he was throwing a lot of strikes he still threw strikes in the second half his stuff probably dipped a little bit but a lot of it was just the sort of batted balls and play numbers, the hard hit numbers sort of evened out a little bit on Keegan Aiken, I think. And still overall, if you would have said at the start of the year after how he pitched last year and he had some control issues last year, that he would produce a season with like a three ERA, I think we would have taken that. Just an up and down way to get there. But he did exactly what the Orioles have been preaching this year. And we've heard from Brandon Hyde a lot, which is attack the strike zone, trust your defense behind you. The Orioles have played fantastic defense all season long. And that's what Keegan Aiken did the first half of the year. But you're right. I think attacking the strike zone as much as he did, the stuff isn't spectacular to the point where you can get away with it all the time. And I think when you looked at Keegan Aiken's advanced numbers in the first half of the year, there was a little bit to suggest, hey, we might see some regression here over the second half of the season. I thought that ERA might jump maybe into the high threes, low fours the second half of the year, but instead we saw the mid fives. Yeah. So I think the true Keegan Aiken probably lies somewhere between the pitcher we saw in the first half of the year and the second half of the season. I don't think he is going to struggle as much as he did in the second half of the year this year. Yeah, I mean, his ERA was right around six last year, and now it's in the threes. I think lower threes is where he's going to end up this season, assuming he does not pitch again. His walk rate went way down. I think his walks per nine was 2.4 per nine innings this year. So that's all positive stuff. It's He doesn't have the greatest stuff ever, but that doesn't mean that by throwing strikes and honing his control and just slightly improving his stuff over time, he can't still be a productive reliever. One interesting thing now is they send on a lefty. They don't bring up a righty, or they bring up a righty in Gillespie. So... They have one less lefty. Now there's just two lefties on the Orioles' current pitching staff when you include D.L. Hall and C.N.L. Perez in the bullpen. I think they probably looked at the matchups maybe and determined that that's not that big of an issue with only nine games left in the season. It was just more important to get a fresh arm up. So, again, maybe we'll see him if an injury happens, but it seems like they're just going to ride with the two lefties the rest of the way. Yeah, and maybe you could see Nick Vespi over the final half of the season, who knows. But I think if this is the end of the season for Keegan Aiken in Baltimore, I think we saw plenty of encouraging signs. One name that you did mention, Tim, that we might see in Baltimore is Grayson Rodriguez Mm -hmm. made a start, what, two days ago at this point, yesterday? Yeah, Yeah. I think it was last night. I I don't don't know know. how days work. (laughs) Uh, Grayson Rodriguez (laughs) throws 89 pitches, so they extended him out in AAA Norfolk, goes about five innings, Three hits, one run, three walks, six strikeouts. He's not going to start again at AAA Norfolk. As you mentioned, the season ends on Wednesday, so too quick of a turnaround to see another start for Grayson Rodriguez. If we see him make an appearance, it's going to be in Baltimore. Yeah. And there's a possibility that over the next week or so, 
if the Orioles are eliminated from playoff contention, which they might not be in a week. They're still only three and a half games out. The wild card race still very much in play. But if we're going to see Grayson Rodriguez pitch again this year, it could be in Baltimore. Yeah. Do you think it matters if the Orioles are in the playoff race still or outside of it? Because I feel like he's just a good arm to bring up regardless, right? Yeah. I I think it matters if you're going to start him. Yes. I I think if you want to give Grayson Rodriguez a start in the bigs, you're probably out of playoff contention because I don't know who you'd bounce out of the starting rotation at this point. You can't. You're not going to move a Dean Kramer and Austin Voth. Maybe you could piggyback. I guess Tyler Wells is now on the IL. So there's kind of an opening there. We saw Spencer Watkins come in, do a pretty good job in a tough situation last night. Yeah, I don't know if it necessarily matters. I still am in the camp right now that I think it's a pretty slim chance we see him in Baltimore. It would be awesome. I think if they do it, it would be in that Toronto series at home just because I'd like to see him make his debut at home. I think that would be cool. So they go Red Sox-Yankees, then one last home series against Toronto. You would imagine it's then, but then you think, all right, if they do it then, and he gets the call then, he's only going to make one start, and if that goes poorly, it's not like he has time to sort of learn from the mistakes, get another crack at the major league level until next season. So that's the worry for me is I like the idea of bringing up a player, getting him kind of quote-unquote everyday opportunities. I know that more applies to a, a bat necessarily but still like you bring up Grayson when you have a window for him to maybe work through some growing pains when he's getting experience at the major league level so you'd be kind of eliminating that I know he's a special prospect and it still sort of feels weird to just make his first start one of the first uh, games of next season but I think that's the way we're trending right now. Yeah, and there's also just no need to really push him. Yeah, I, I know you extended him at AAA Norfolk to 89 pitches, which is an encouraging sign. But I don't know. It, it's also just fun if you want to yeah, call him up. Awesome. I mean, it'd be great <laughs> to see Grayson Rodriguez in the bigs. That was his goal this season. Obviously, that was put on the back burner with the injury, had to rehab, come back, and we haven't been able to see him yet. It would be really fun to see him at the major league level. He deserves to be up here. And if he doesn't end up making a start at the end of this season, I think it's not a lock, but I think it's pretty close to a lock that he is in your starting rotation to begin next year. I can't imagine that the Orioles would start him at AAA Norfolk again. He has nothing else to prove, but I'm with you. I, I would be surprised if we saw Grayson Rodriguez at the bigs. But there is the possibility, like you mentioned, because Tyler Wells, unfortunately, goes on the 15-day injured list, his season is done. Yeah, I do think that was the last start last night for Grayson Rodriguez in AAA, probably. Yes. Which is cool. I mean, we've yeah. gotten to that point, at least, and I know the injury set it back, but you look at his AAA numbers this year, 6-1 and one was his record, 220 ERA over 14 starts at AAA Norfolk, and... Through 69 and two-thirds innings of work, he had 97 strikeouts and allowed just two homers and just 21 walks in 69 and two-thirds innings. So the numbers are great. Again, it's worth reiterating that he said before the injury, it was the best he had felt on a mound, and he felt like he was really getting it and everything was coming together. He's been working in some new pitches. I think the rehab assignment and everything is he's passed that with flying colors. Good to see him get stretched out to 89 pitches, but... If you're Mike Elias, it just doesn't really feel like 
it's worth it to probably pitch him in Baltimore this year, as much fun as it would be. Yeah, and worst case scenario would be seeing something like we're seeing now with Tyler Wells, where he goes on the injured list for a while, comes back, makes a few starts, gets injured again. Wells showed a lot of encouraging signs this season, struggled a little bit more once he came back from his injury, but you can't really blame him for that. He just never really found his groove like he had before the injury. I mean, the first few starts before his injury, Tyler Wells was sailing. I mean, he looked like the best starting pitcher in this rotation and then just never really found his footing when he got back. And I bring up the Tyler Wells thing to say, yes, there might be kind of a spot open, but I do think that when Mike Elias and the entire staff gets together after the Grayson injury, they are committed to a Grayson plan that doesn't really have anything to do with anyone else. So they're checking boxes based on what he needs to do, and they have it mapped out as to how many pitches he's throwing each and every start. And it probably was not in the plan, I'm guessing, originally that he would be up at Baltimore at any point. So I don't think they're going to deviate from the plan just because of the Tyler Wells news. I could be wrong, but at this point, I'd be pretty surprised if we see Grayson in Baltimore. So as we get into our Brandon Hyde for AL Manager of the Year discussion, I want to talk about Saturday's game. Yes. Because speaking of Tyler Wells, that is the game that Tyler Wells was supposed to start, and we end up seeing Mike Bauman. Saturday's game, I think, is a pretty good example of there being a disconnect with the fan base and the decisions that Brandon Hyde has made this season. Where, to me, at least, a lot of the decisions that Brandon Hyde made on Saturday made total sense to me. But the fans, a lot of fans on, you know, I'm judging this based off of, you know, Orioles Twitter and some loud voices there that really disagreed with a lot of the choices that Brandon Hyde made on Saturday in a pivotal 11-10 to loss to the Astros, who are, by the way, the best team in the American League, and the Orioles were able to split that four-game series and stay right in the AL wildcard race. But I want to talk about the game on Saturday and some of the, the gripes that fans seem to have with Brandon Hyde. The first one being that Mike Bauman was pulled after four innings. Brandon Hyde said before the game that Mike Bauman was not completely stretched out and Mike Bauman throwing around 50, 60 pitches is probably what you would have assumed. Mike Bauman looked pretty good, goes four innings in this game, had to make a last minute start because the injury to Tyler Wells and does what you need him to do through four innings. 58 pitches. 58 pitches. That was the first gripe that fans had with Brandon Hyde. The second one being Joey Crable who comes into the game in the fifth inning and struggles, gives up four earned runs and just didn't have his stuff. And a lot of fans were upset that Joey Crable was A, in that game to begin with, and B, wasn't pulled quickly enough. Joey Crable entered that game with a 3.05 ERA. There was one singular pitcher, bullpen arm, excuse me, on the Orioles staff last year that had an ERA under four. And the Orioles' bullpen has been fantastic this year. I think Brandon Hyde has done a really good job of managing these arms, which we'll get to in a little while. But the complaint overthrowing a bullpen arm who has a 3.05 ERA, who enters the game against the seven hitter in the lineup. You're asking Joey Crable to get out seven, eight, nine. Joey Crable didn't have the stuff. It was a rough inning. He isn't able to get out seven, eight, nine. And then CNL Perez has to come in earlier than expected and clean up the mess a little bit. Relievers just don't have it sometimes. But 
having a gripe against Brandon Hyde for putting in a reliever with a 3.05 ERA against the Astros seven hitter to get out seven, eight, nine, and get out of the inning. I just don't understand the gripe there at all. Yeah, it didn't necessarily work out. I guess you could also say that it kind of worked out because Felix Batista came into that game and had a chance to just save the game and right. win it for the Orioles. And I do want to correct something. We were we got our days confused because Keegan Aiken pitched Sunday in another wild game that went to extra innings, but that was the low-scoring one after a rain delay. This 11-10 game used, used less relievers, and it was actually Jake Rudy who came in after Batista. Anyway... Brandon Hyde's plan kind of did work in a weird way. I get the Crable wasn't great, but to that I would say, who else would you like him to throw in that situation when he's coming in in the fifth inning and you have that much ground to cover? We've seen him in certain scenarios this year. I think of that game, I believe it was against the Blue Jays, if I'm not mistaken, where Dylan Tate came in rather early in the game, and it was a pivotal game that they needed to win, and he sold out and put together a bullpen and kind of went to Tate early like it was kind of a playoff game. And that was great cool right. to see him sort of showing off his managerial acumen, basically, in that setting. So I do think that this one didn't necessarily work out, but it's more an issue of he had to cover five through, I guess the game went to the 11th inning or maybe the 10th inning. He had to cover several innings as the manager with a lot of different bullpen arms, and the Orioles were maybe just one bullpen arm, quality arm short that game. And look, if Altuve is due up that inning, then maybe you go Dylan Tate yeah. in that spot instead of Joey Crable. But nothing against Chaz McCormick. It's Chaz McCormick. It's not <laughs> Jose Altuve. So you go with Joey Crable in that situation yeah. because, like you said, you have a lot of innings to make up, and Joey Crable is the guy to go to in that situation. Felix Batista didn't have his stuff in this game either, gives up four earned runs, the Orioles wind up losing that game. But to put the onus on Brandon Hyde as the reason that the Orioles lost this game, rather than saying, hey, the relievers just didn't really have their best stuff today, or hey, the Orioles didn't cash in when they had the bases loaded and didn't score enough runs, there are a lot of things that you could point to in this game and I think pointing the finger at Brandon Hyde, I'm not saying you have to agree with Brandon Hyde 24-7, whether it be his bullpen decisions or his lineup decisions, but he has overwhelmingly made a lot of good calls this year. And I think pinning this loss on him just kind of exemplifies the difference between fans kind of having gripes over smaller decisions versus really the big picture of what Brandon Hyde has done this season. I would also say the fact that we're in a position to critique Brandon Hyde's moves in September is yep. a testament to how well Brandon Hyde has done with this roster to this point, right? Yeah. Like, it's amazing that we're in this position. Again, if you would have said at the start of the year when the Orioles were projected 61 and a half wins, according to most FanDuel sportsbook sites, that you would be complaining about the way Brandon Hyde is managing a team that just won game 80 last night and is on pace for, I think, 84, 85 wins. You would have thought I had 10 heads if I said that yeah. at the start of the year. So it's important to remember, even if you would have said that in May when they started out like 21 and 28 or something, and yeah, you could tell that this team was a little bit different than previous year's teams, but they still weren't necessarily winning games you would have thought we were crazy that we would be complaining about Brandon Hyde, who is near the top of the AL Manager of the Year discussion and complaining about the intricacies of these decisions. When, again, I think most of the complaining just falls back to 
the Orioles just don't have as much talent as some of these other teams that are vying for the playoff spot. Their talent has improved, and I get you bring up Gunnar Henderson, Adley Rutschman. That's talent. Don't get me wrong. It's improved this year, but still, overall, what he's doing with this bullpen, what that coaching staff is doing with this bullpen to get it to this point as one of the best bullpens in the majors is a testament to the coaching staff. Yeah, so let's talk about his chances to win AL Manager of the Year going against some other managers in the American League. The best two teams in the AL right now, the Astros and Yankees, managed by Dusty Baker and Aaron Boone. I really wouldn't look at them for AL Manager of the Year. I know they have the best records, but I think the Astros and Yankees were both expected to be here. I know the same case can be made for the Rays with Kevin Cash. They don't have a ton of talent. They have fought through injuries yeah, this year. a lot year. of injuries, yeah. A lot of injuries. Kevin Cash has done a fantastic job. He's a great manager. The Rays, again, expected to be this good. I would kind of rule out those three guys Maybe, as candidates. I, I could see Dusty Baker winning from a standpoint of they won, I believe, 95 or 96 games last year. They have exceeded expectations without Carlos Correa in sure. their lineup. They, they've gotten better when maybe they shouldn't have gotten better. But, yeah, the other thing is, like, Kevin Cash has won the last two AL Manager of the Year awards. I'm not saying that that should necessarily impact your decision, but the Rays were projected to be right around what they are right now. I believe their over-under in wins was 89.5 going into the year. Yep. They're on pace to win 89 or 88 baseball games. They're at 84 right now. They're going to be right there. Yeah, the case is he did it, and he got the most out of that in a tough division that got even tougher with the Orioles being better this year, and I guess the Red Sox slipped. But still, a tough division, and he did it with a lot of injuries. But I feel like you have to look at more of a team that exceeded expectations than Kevin Cash. And I think... Out of the Dusty Baker, Aaron Boone, I would lean Dusty Baker, but I I still don't think there's a strong case for Dusty Baker. I think of those three, Dusty Baker probably has the best chance, but if I'm looking at three candidates, I'm looking, like you said, at three teams that overperformed. So I'm looking at Seattle, Cleveland, and Baltimore. Seattle's projected win total at the beginning of the year, 81.5. They currently have 83 wins. They brought in a lot of talent. So, I don't know. This is Scott Service who would win AL Manager of the Year in this case. But they brought in a lot of talent is kind of my argument against Seattle. They called up Julio Rodriguez. like 90 games last year? Yeah, they were were good good. last year. They brought in Julio Rodriguez, who they called up at the very beginning of the season. They brought in Jesse Winker, Eugenio Suarez. They traded for Luis Castillo at the deadline. They traded for Adam Frazier last year. This is a team with a lot of talent, and... I know the projected win total at 81.5 was a little bit lower, and they have exceeded those expectations. I don't know if Scott Service really gets my vote. I don't either. The case for him is they have won a almost historic amount of one-run games this year, and there's been a lot written about how the fact that he has made push the right buttons in those scenarios. And I think that is a case for when you're evaluating what it takes to win manager of the year. That's something to consider. But I agree, it's not like they've shattered expectations the way that the Guardians or the Orioles have. I think if you would have polled Mariners fans at the start of the year, they would have been disappointed if they didn't make the playoffs. Some of that is the baggage of not making it year in, year out. But this was a roster that was primed to do it. It looks like they're going to do it. The other thing is, they were really, really hot recently. 
they've kind of hit more of a wall as fans have been tracking, I'm sure, the wild card standings and seeing that now it's the Mariners that the Orioles are right behind in the wild card race as opposed to when it was the Rays and the Blue Jays. It feels like they would have to conclude the year pretty hot to sort of wrap up votes. I think maybe two weeks ago, he would have had a stronger case, and not that that means everything. It's a long season, but it just doesn't feel like the Mariners have exceeded expectations as much as the Orioles and Guardians. They're kind of stumbling down the finish line yeah. right now. I mean, Against bad teams, too. The yeah. Orioles have done what they've needed to do to stay in the race, but you could make the case that the Orioles, if they really wanted to make a playoff push, needed to win some more games. They needed to take some more games against the Blue Jays in that four-game set a week ago, whenever it was. The Orioles have done enough to stay in it, but not really enough to really make a push. And the Mariners just really haven't been locking this up. They have been stumbling a bit. And I think you're right. I think two weeks ago, I would have service a little bit higher than I do right now. I think he is firmly in third place for me for AL Manager of the Year. Well, it's also like, let's say the season kind of finishes how these teams are on pace to finish, and the Mariners finish with, say, 89 wins, and the Guardians finish with, say, 89-90 wins, and the Orioles finish with 84-85. How can you make a case? I mean, the Mariners are more talented than the Guardians and the Orioles. Yes. Definitely more talented than the Orioles, for sure. So I... Not that that means everything, and I get the one-run argument with Scott Service, and he's done a great job in that scenarios in those scenarios this year, but I do think that it's tough to vote for him over Francona or Hyde. Yeah, they, they went all in. Yeah. When, when you add Robbie Ray, who was the Cy Young winner <laughs> right. last year, and Luis Castillo to your pitching rotation, and then you add Julio Rodriguez, Jesse Winker, Eugenio Suarez, a lot of talented hitters to your lineup, you're expecting to be here. Yeah. And that's why... When I'm looking at the two candidates in my mind that are, are pretty firmly the two guys that I would look at for AL Manager of the Year, it's Terry Francona in Cleveland and Brandon Hyde in Baltimore. So let's talk about Francona. I think he is the top contender. Again, we're going to preseason win totals, which doesn't mean everything yeah, for this but... prediction. Cleveland was projected to win 76 and a half games. They are currently at 86 wins. When you look at Terry Francona and Brandon Hyde, it's kind of a similar case where these teams are young and they have a lot of potential, but they weren't really supposed to be here yet. They have a lower payroll. Cleveland is 27th in baseball. Baltimore is 30th. And we have seen a lot of development in Cleveland from young players who I don't think were really supposed to be this good yeah. quite yet. Andres Jimenez, Ahmed Rosario, Stephen Kwan... They have the superstar in Jose Ramirez, which is something that the Orioles don't really have unless you count Adley yeah. Rushman. They have an ace, too, Shane Bieber. Shane yeah. Bieber, they have an ace, like you mentioned. But I've been so impressed with how their younger players have developed. Tristan McKenzie, somebody in their mm -hmm. starting rotation. Cal Quantrill. A lot of these younger players, Terry Francona has seemed to get the most out of despite the payroll being lower. And they were in what many people thought was going to be a challenging division in the Central. You had the Chicago White Sox, who were going all in. The Minnesota Twins, who signed Carlos Correa. They looked like they were going all in. I don't think anybody expected the Guardians to be leading this division. Yeah, I do think that you could make a case that they're almost, they're on pace for 90 wins, let's say. It's a little bit easier to do that in the AL Central than the Orioles maybe. I mean, the Orioles aren't going to get to 90 wins at this point, but the Orioles were playing in a tougher division, so you could make that case. I would 
say that you're right, though. Like, the AL Central was supposed to be good, and they won the division. And that speaks to how much they have exceeded expectations this season. I think the... If Terry Francona wins it over Brandon Hyde, that's the one name that I wouldn't be that upset about because I kind of am almost expecting it at this point just because it feels like he's a little bit more of a known commodity. The voters are going to be a little bit more likely to to vote his name because it's a playoff team. I mean, the fact is no manager of the year has ever won the award and finished fourth in their division. Brandon Hyde will be the first ever. The average manager of the year winner is typically the playoff team that exceeded expectations the most. Typically, it's like a 95-96 win team. The Orioles are not going to be that. The Guardians aren't even necessarily going to be 95-96 wins, but they have been playing some really good baseball lately when they really needed it. They've already wrapped up the division. They're the youngest team in baseball. There's a very strong case. I think if you are a Guardians fan, you would be disappointed and you'd have a decent case if Terry Francona didn't win the award. And that, I think, is the biggest factor going for Terry Francona and against Brandon Hyde, like you said. The Orioles are going to finish fourth in the AL East. The Orioles could make the playoffs. If the Mariners slump over the next 10 games of the year and the Orioles somehow sneak into the playoffs, that's awesome. And, of course, it helps Brandon Hyde's case, but they're still going to be the fourth-best team in their division. And that is just how the AL East is. It's probably how it's going to be for a while. On the flip side of that, you could also say, hey, the Orioles are close to making the playoffs in by far the best division in baseball. That's a case for Brandon Hyde. But like you said, Terry Francona and the Guardians are going to win their division. They're going to be the three seed in the playoffs. They exceeded expectations, won their division, made the playoffs. That's a lot in favor of Terry Francona. They check every box that a manager of the year checks, whereas the Orioles don't necessarily. And I know some fans might point to the why not Orioles team that Frank Robinson won AL manager of the year on. That's a little bit different, though, because he that year's team won, I believe, 96 games, and they didn't make the playoffs, but it was just because the playoff field was much smaller back then. It was much more challenging. So you could point to, oh, well, we've seen instances where a manager of the year has come from a team that did not make the playoffs. The point is, it's an exception, usually. And the Guardians, I feel like, and Terry Francona are probably the front runner on like Vegas odds right now, but we'll get into it because I do think that if you really were paying attention this year, Brandon Hyde has a very strong case to win the award. And unfortunately, I think there will be some probably old school voters who say, how can you give manager of the year to Brandon Hyde when this team doesn't make the playoffs and they're fourth in their division against, again, Terry Francona, who wins the division, makes the playoffs it almost feels like voting for a Cy Young where maybe an old school voter is going to look at pitcher wins or they're going to look at, yeah. <laughs> you know, just pure ERA strikeouts. Whereas the case for Brandon Hyde is a little bit more nuanced and it's not exactly, hey, look at the standings, look at the playoff race. It's look at where this team was, what they're doing with what resources they have. And I think that's more of the case for Brandon Hyde. So let's get into it a little bit. I think if it were me voting right now, I would vote for Brandon Hyde for manager of the year. Obviously, I'm a little bit biased. (laughs) However, I think there's a very strong case to be made for Brandon Hyde because the Orioles were not supposed to be here in any way, shape, or form. Again, their projected preseason win total 
at the beginning of the year was 62 and a half. And that would have still been a 10 game improvement (laughs) from their record last year when they went 52 and 110. The Orioles currently have 80 wins. They are three and a half games out of an AL wildcard spot. They were not supposed to be here and not many moves that they made in the offseason or at the deadline would indicate that they were supposed to be here. It's not like the Orioles went out and spent a bunch of money and that's why they're going to win 30 more games. The Orioles still have the lowest payroll in baseball. The two teams ahead of them, Oakland with a $48 million payroll, they are going to win 55, maybe 60 games. The Pirates with a $66 million payroll, they're going to win 55, maybe 60 games. The Orioles are at least winning 80 games with a chance to win 84-85. Yeah. They didn't sign anybody huge in the offseason. Jordan Lyles was a good addition. Most of their improvements came from promotions, and like you mentioned, Adley Rutschman, Gunnar Henderson, Felix Bautista, some of the promotions that we've seen in the offseason or during this season, those are big additions. Those help the team. But we didn't see any overwhelming free agent signings. And they also traded away Trey Mancini and Jorge Lopez at the deadline, and they're still here. Yeah, I I think he would get my vote too. And a big reason is he has instituted a culture change this year. And when you talk about the manager and what they can bring to a team, yeah, you you can nitpick lineups and decisions that they make in games. That's a valuable part of how good a manager is. But I would argue that when you look at this Orioles team, and you ask yourself, if someone who doesn't follow the Orioles, and I've had a couple friends that, you know, they say, oh, you're, you work for the Orioles and you're covering the team now. What's changed this year, right? That's the big question. Yes, they have gotten more talented. Yes, Adley Rutschman makes a huge difference when he's out there. I think we're firm believers in that. Yeah, absolutely. But the other thing to consider is that they really, when you have that conversation with someone that doesn't know the Orioles, what I keep falling back to is, They just play great as a team. They just buy in. They have a great culture. The clubhouse, when we talk to players, they all rave about how much fun it is to be playing on this team, how connected the clubhouse is, the chemistry of the team is excellent. Those are all intangible things that start from up top, but also what the manager is building. And the way that they have morphed into a team that is aggressive on the base pass, a team that is aggressive throwing strikes, a team that is one of the better defenses in baseball, It's easy to forget last year, they were walking batters constantly. They were struggling, making errors constantly. They look like a completely different team. And yes, there is more talent, but I think a lot of it comes down to coaching and changing the culture. And I mean, the way that they've come back in games as well speaks to that as well. They're never down and out in games, which starts from just what the culture that Brandon Hyde has put in place on this team. And that's great to see. And I will say too, I think part of the culture, as much as fans have looked at these two players... You talk to players in the clubhouse and ask them who is leading the clubhouse. It's Ruknet Odor and Robinson Chirinos as the two big veteran presences in this locker room. And Brandon Hyde has done a great job of finding those veterans playing time and allowing them to be the leaders in the clubhouse as well. You lost John Means at the beginning of the year. You lost Trey Mancini at the trade deadline there's probably a pretty solid case to be made that those are the two, if not amongst the two most important people in the clubhouse. 
but this team has stayed together. They have continued to play good team baseball, as you mentioned. The Baltimore Orioles right now have a better record than the White Sox, Red Sox, Giants, Twins, Angels, and Rangers. Those are all teams that the Orioles just had no business being better than this year because they were all either already loaded with talent or made big signings in the offseason to get loaded with talent. Right. And the Orioles are doing way more with a lot less just pure talent and a lot less payroll. Yeah, and when you look back on this season, it's going to be even more amazing as time passes how good this team was and how much they overachieved, I think. Because you'll look back and think, oh, they won almost you know, 84, 85 games, whatever it ends up being. First winning season, hopefully, knock on wood, since 2016. Knock on wood. And it would be amazing to see that and then think, oh, but they also still sold at the deadline. They still did lose John Means, that type of stuff. I think the injury luck overall has been pretty good for the Orioles this year. But you look at the bullpen, and I think that sort of perfectly encapsulates what Brandon Hyde has done with this team and how at the start of the year, I was on this podcast saying, this bullpen has been excellent until May to this point, the pitching staff, and it just didn't really make sense, right? And the numbers felt kind of fluky. And I was on record of saying, I don't see how this keeps up. You know, they lost yeah. John Means. It's guys that we weren't expecting to have good seasons really stepping up. It's castovers. It's waiver claims. It's all that type of stuff. It doesn't make sense that it's going to be sustainable. Well, as time passes on more and they continue to prove that it is sustainable, that's where you have to point to coaching. Because when everyone in the bullpen is overachieving, for the most part, I mean, Felix Bautista didn't even really know, many fans probably didn't even know who he was going into this year. Here he is, one of the best closers in baseball. Even Jorge Lopez, I know it's a sore subject now, but it was a risky decision by many to put him as the closer, not one that we thought was going to work out well, maybe as a collective fan base at the start of the year. He exceeded expectations. You can go down the line of the bullpen. When everyone is exceeding expectations in the bullpen, for the most part, that's where you point to player development, coaching, and those are things that are more sustainable than just fluky numbers, which I thought at the start of the year was, but as time passes on more, it's just a testament to Brandon Hyde. Yeah, and that's a great point because Brandon Hyde, not only should he be credited with how well the team is performing overall, but a lot of that has to do, like you mentioned, with the assistant coaches, which is, again, a lot to do with Brandon Hyde, who has worked to assemble a fantastic coaching staff. And it brings me back to a point I made literally a minute ago where I said, yeah, these other teams just have a lot more raw talent than the Baltimore Orioles. Take the Angels with Noah Syndergaard, for example. Yeah, The Angels signed Noah Syndergaard to a pretty big money deal in the offseason. Noah Syndergaard has a ton of raw talent. Give me Austin Voth. Yeah, Austin right. Voth has been better this That's season. That's a perfect example. And Austin yeah. Voth doesn't have the raw talent that Noah Syndergaard has, but the Orioles coaching staff has done a better job with Austin Voth than the Angels have done with Noah Syndergaard. Or the Nationals did. Or the Nationals did with Austin yeah, Voth. Like, Look, across the league, the Orioles have talent, but the coaching staff has been able to maximize that talent in a way that I think has surprised Everybody. And I think it starts with the pitching, like you mentioned. Chris Holt, Darren Holmes, I mean, yeah. hats off to them. Right. Because you are seeing a pitching staff and a rotation that is filled with... Uh, Jordan Lyles has been 
pretty close to his career averages in terms of ERA. Mm -hmm. But we saw a game out of Jordan Lyles two starts ago that we haven't seen in 10 years out of that guy. Jordan Lyles has been everything that you hoped for. Dean Kramer has exceeded every single expectation that we had for him this season. We didn't know if Dean Kramer was ever going to make it back into the starting rotation, given how last season went. He ends up in AAA Norfolk, doesn't put up good numbers there. And then all of a sudden, Dean Kramer looks like a dude and a half in this starting rotation. Kyle Bradish, since coming back from injury, has been lights out. Austin Voth, a waiver claim that has been fantastic. The bullpen, again, as you mentioned, it's been made up of waiver claims, of random signings here and there. But Felix Bautista, CNL Perez, Brian Baker, you can go down the list yeah. of bullpen arms and starting rotation arms that were not supposed to be this good, but the Orioles coaching staff, led by Brandon Hyde, has been able to maximize their talent. Yeah, and even you look at what Jorge Lopez has done since he's gone to the Twins, I think yeah. that also is an indication that, or Austin Voth, who we just talked about, but he comes from the Nationals. Nationals fans didn't want any part of him, and he comes here and he's succeeding with the Orioles as a legitimate rotation starter. That speaks to coaching. Sure, Austin Voth is probably just pitching a little bit better. He's gotten more confidence, but it comes from he's throwing his fastball more. They made some tweaks, and they said, you know what? Throw strikes. Your stuff's good. They gave him more confidence, and here it is. It's paying off. I guess you could argue, well, yeah, you guys are talking all about the pitching. You're conveniently leaving out that some of the hitters have not necessarily developed as quickly as maybe we would have hoped. But I think you could also say that these younger hitters succeeding, Yeah, the way that Brandon Hyde handled Taron Vavra when he came up, and I know a lot of fans are beating the drum, why isn't Kyle Stowers playing more? Why wasn't Gunner up earlier? All that, which isn't even a Brandon Hyde thing. But I think he's done a pretty good job, all things considered, of handling young players, getting them everyday opportunities, and also being committed to winning and keeping the identity of the team as we are trying to win. We're trying to go not all in, but pretty much as all in as we can be with this roster for a wild card spot. This team plays hard. They're still playing hard each and every game. And he's mixed in the youth with the veterans, I think, pretty well overall. It's a tough task, and I think he's done it pretty well. And both hitting coaches are very young yes. in Matt Borgschulte and Ryan Fuller. We talked with players, you know, Trey Mancini, I remember earlier on in the year, raved about the work that he has put in with Matt Borgschulte and Ryan Fuller. I know that some hitters have maybe, like you said, not performed as well as expected this year. I guess the one hitter to look at is Ryan Mountcastle, yeah. who hasn't played as well, but he has the biggest difference in his slugging percentage and expected slugging percentage in Major League Baseball. Yeah, he's expected to, he's just getting robbed, basically. I mean, the left field wall is just yeah. killing Ryan Mountcastle. Right. I mean, his exit velocity's up. All those stats that point to have you made strides as a hitter are up. It's just not in the average RBI home run category, which is partially because of the wall, too, the uh, home runs. The left field wall, I think, has been a benefit to the Orioles this season. It has not been a benefit to Ryan Mountcastle, <laughs> no. who is a power-hitting right-handed hitter, which was to be expected. And I think if you thought that Ryan Mountcastle was going to put up the exact same power numbers this year with the left field wall shifted as back as it has been, I think that was a little naive to believe of Ryan Mountcastle. Cedric Mullins was going to regress from 30-30. And a lot of other hitters have performed 
I think, above expectations. Anthony Santander has had the best season of his career, far and away. He hit his 31st home run of the year last night. He is making better swing decisions. We the have Orioles seen, won a game where he hit two. Yeah, I know. It's incredible. We, we've <laughs> seen the walk rate improve. We've seen the yeah. swinging the the swing rate improve for Anthony Santander. I think we're seeing better swing decisions pretty much across the board for this lineup. Maybe outside of Ryan Mountcastle, who swing decisions are just still a little <laughs> bit questionable. Austin Hayes at times too, but yeah. And I think even if it's not overwhelming improvement from what we've seen for Matt Borgschulte and Ryan Fuller, I think it's improvement. I would look at this Orioles lineup and say, you know what? This is a better lineup than it was last year. And I know there's more talent with Adley Rutschman, Gunnar Henderson, but Adley Rutschman is outperforming expectations. Gunnar Henderson is outperforming expectations. Taryn Vavra, Kyle Stowers, I think you could make the case that they are outperforming expectations as well. And when you talk with a lot of minor league players, they say that a lot of the reason that they're finding success is that it's now an organizational thing. The hitting that they are learning and the swing decisions, whatever you want to point to, it's an organizational thing. And I think we are going to see the fruits of the work that Fuller and Borgschulte have been doing in the majors for years to come. Yeah, and I think that's a good point that when we give credit to Brandon Hyde and what he's done with the pitching staff, you also need to be giving credit to Chris Holt, Darren Holmes, and the pitching coaches as well. But yes, I think when you add up the talent that the Orioles have, and again, the talent has gotten better this year, but it's gotten better from what was the least talented team in baseball probably last year, you can make a case, and it's still the smallest payroll in baseball. So it's under the radar how small the payroll is, honestly. And I know you can make the same case about the Guardians because they are the youngest team in baseball. They do have, I believe you said the 27th. 27th lowest payroll in baseball while the Orioles have 30th, and you're probably thinking they're only three spots apart. That's probably not that much of a difference. Guardians have a payroll that is $23 million higher than the Baltimore Orioles. Also, the Guardians have Jose Ramirez. They have Shane Bieber. I know stars don't matter in baseball as much as other sports. We've seen that with the Angels, and they'd be the first to tell you that. But it's not like the Orioles have a quote-unquote dude outside of Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson next season. Adley Rutschman turned into a dude. It, because Brandon Hyde, you can make a case, stuck with him when he was struggling yeah. and gave him everyday opportunities and has handled him well, too. So I think he's done an excellent job with the young guys for the most part. I would just say that the overall talent level, if you were playing like MLB The Show and they add up the rankings for each player... The Orioles still do not have a ranking overall team, average, whatever, on MLB The Show or any of that type of metrics that would say they should be winning anywhere close to 85 games. The Guardians probably don't either, but I think the gap between talent and how much they've gotten out of the talent is higher for the Orioles than the Guardians. And I still say that knowing that the Guardians have really exceeded expectations this year. Yeah, and I want to reiterate that the Orioles have talented players. Yes. They just don't have a ton of guys that you would look at and say, well, he's got superstar potential. Right. Because on the surface, you wouldn't have looked at a Cedric Mullins and said, hey, this guy has a chance to be a superstar. But Cedric Mullins is excellent. They have maximized his talent. He is having, I think, quietly a very good year after, again... He wasn't going to go 30-30 again, but the Orioles have really found a good piece in Cedric Mullins, and we're not sitting here saying that the Orioles don't have talent, that they haven't 
been able to find quality starters throughout this rebuild, but it is impressive given the payroll and given maybe the raw talent of what we thought some of these guys had. And these players are living up to that raw talent and really maximizing it. And that is a credit to Brandon Hyde. It's a credit to the coaching staff because you can look across the board, like we mentioned, guys like Dean Kramer, Cedric Mullins, Jorge Mateo, Anthony Santander, guys that we knew were talented, maybe not star talented, but were talented, and they've had very good seasons. Yeah, and I would also argue that, I mean, I'm definitely way more confident, not that I wasn't going into this season, but I'm even more confident in Brandon Hyde being the manager that gets the Orioles yes. fully out of this rebuild after what we've seen this season. They're out and, of it. Yeah, well, they are. Yeah. yeah. Right. But I guess what I'm saying is maybe going into this year, we just hadn't really seen Brandon Hyde on a competitive roster to make a formal like assessment of how he would be as a manager. We didn't even necessarily get to see him in a scenario where he goes to Dylan Tate in the fifth inning in that big game against the Blue Jays, or he gets to show off kind of that side of his managerial skills, which, by the way, I think he's been very good in terms of going to the right bullpen arms when he needs to. He's been good at predicting challenges, doing that type of managerial stuff as well. So I just think given that if you would have said at the start of the year, it's we're critiquing him in the lineups right now, and I also feel like that's going to get easier over time. Like next year, Kyle Stowers is just going to be in more lineups. Gunnar Henderson is going to be more proven, I think. It, it probably won't be the easiest thing ever still next year, but I feel like the Orioles roster is at a tough point right now to fill out lineups compared to what it will be in two, three years from now. So if that's your critique of him, it's a tough thing to critique, I think. And you also just have to keep in mind that, again, the fact that we're critiquing him speaks to how good Brandon Hyde has made this team this year and speaks to how much they have overachieved to this point. It's amazing that, you know, if you would have said at the start of the year they would have won 84, 85 games, we would have all, I thought, been giving him the flowers he deserves. But it feels like we've gotten really into playoff baseball mindset, which is great because it's been a while for this fan base and we're not giving enough credit to the fact that they've made it to this point. It's late September and Brandon Hyde is making critical lineup and bullpen decisions Yeah, that we just didn't think we'd no. be here <laughs> at all. And I, I think you brought up a good point as well, Tim, which is oftentimes when teams are rebuilding, there is kind of a bridge manager. Yes. There's a manager who gets you through the rough years and yeah, they win 55, 60 games, but then once the team is loaded with prospects and ready to be competitive again, then you kind of see that manager shipped off and teams will bring in a more proven manager to get the team over the hump. From what I have seen this year, if what Mike Elias has said is true about this offseason and this offseason is liftoff and the Orioles are getting ready <laughs> to bring in some quality veteran players to really get this team to the next level of playoff contention and maybe more, I'm confident in Brandon Hyde being the manager that leads that team in that direction. I think this season has proven that Brandon Hyde can manage a winning competitive team because I think he has made quality decisions throughout September as the Orioles are in this playoff race and I would be confident giving him the keys next year and saying, okay, here is a higher payroll. Here is a team loaded with more talent. Brandon Hyde's the guy to take this team. 
Yeah. I think it's also worth noting, he has given the Orioles an identity this year. And again, it's not just him, but this team has an identity, and I think that's a large part because of the decisions at the top and what the manager has been preaching throughout the season. The identity is clear. It is, when we get on the base, we're going to steal bases because we have speed. We're going to be aggressive. We're never down and out of games. We're going to rally back if we need to. And as we talked about a lot, pitching-wise, we're going to throw strikes because we have a good defense behind us, so we're going to be aggressive on the mound. Completely different than the mindset that they had last year. Part of that is these pitchers have developed more and they have more control of their stuff. When you think of a Dean Kramer or even a Keegan Aiken like we talked about earlier on in this podcast, but I think that identity and going into the year with that messaging of we're going to throw strikes this year has really given them sort of just a collective thing to buy in on together. And that's why when you talk about why the Orioles have succeeded this year, a lot of it is the culture and a lot of it is the identity, which comes back to coaching. So, Tim, as we wrap up, I think we're in agreement that this is a two-man race yes. for AL Manager of the Year. Between... It wouldn't shock me if Dusty Baker won, though. Wouldn't yeah. shock me. But I, I think I'd say there are two front runners in Terry Francona and Brandon Hyde. And two guys that have a chance to win it, but a smaller chance in Scott Service of the Mariners mm-hmm. and Dusty Baker with the Astros. Who is your vote going to? My vote is going to Brandon Hyde. Now, I'm getting the sense you're going to ask the next question, which is, will he win manager of the year? I'm a little worried. I think it might be Terry Francona. Just because the precedent is set that it is the team that overachieves the most and makes the playoffs, right? And... Well, the Orioles, and I think Brandon Hyde will get a significant amount of votes. I do feel like if you are a national baseball writer that is voting on this, you look at the candidates in front of you, and you kind of start by looking at playoff teams in your head, and you also start by thinking about who are the best managers that I know are the best managers year in and year out, and those guys are Terry Francona and Dusty Baker more so than Brandon Hyde, which is unfair But I just feel like if it's a toss-up and you're a national writer, you're maybe more inclined to go, yeah, I know Terry Francona's a good manager. He's been around for a while. That team made the playoffs, so they get the tiebreaker. I'm with you. I I give my vote to Brandon Hyde, but I think Terry Francona probably wins it, which, again, like you said, I I want the voters to look at the entire context. I understand Cleveland won their division, Their expectations are in the rearview mirror. That's awesome. Baltimore's expectations, they're driving on a different highway. They don't even see their preseason expectations in the rearview mirror. They are so far past that, (laughs) it's not even funny. So with that context, that's why I'm giving my vote to Brandon Hyde. But it's hard to overlook the fact that the Guardians are winning their division, making the playoffs. Francona's a proven manager. There's a lot of things going their way. I just think the context and given the Orioles' payroll, current talent level in terms of not really having a superstar, where they were last year, it's just got to be Brandon Hyde. Yeah, I agree. And it's a bummer because I feel like if he doesn't win this one, it's going to be very challenging to win in the coming years because how good he has been this year and how good the Orioles have been this year is going to set them up to be tough to exceed expectations next year. Like, they are going to be, if the offseason goes kind of how we're hoping and they significantly escalate the payroll, as Michael Elias has said, they're going to be talked about as that it team, that sleeper, that really fun team that could be on the cusp of 
making the playoffs, and that's going to be the expectations next year. So it feels like this is kind of the window for him to win it. He, he could still win it next year if they just, you know, win 100 games or something. Then he'll be at the top of the list. It's not impossible. But, yeah, I feel like he deserves it even more than Terry Francona, and that's me understanding that the Guardians have also... They also have a very strong case. I think in another year, I would be totally fine with Terry Francona and the Guardians winning the award. And, again, I think I'm not going to be that crushed if it's him. I will be... A little hurt if it's Scott Service, Aaron Boone, Dusty Baker, Kevin Cash, one of those names, because then I just don't think you're looking at what the award should be, which is how much did a manager influence how many games that team won. And I think if you're evaluating the award based on that, Brandon Hyde's at the top of the list. And there's still season to be played. The Orioles yeah. are still on the cusp of the playoffs as they we make stand. The playoffs, I think it's a lock. Yeah. That then all the arguments we're giving for the Guardians and, and Terry Francona winning kind of go out the window. Yeah. I, I, look, if the Orioles make the playoffs, this is an entirely different argument, but we have laid out our argument for Brandon Hyde to win AL Manager of the Year. The Orioles are still just three and a half games out of the final AL wildcard <laughs> spot with a week plus left so far left in the season. Mm -hmm. We'll see if the Orioles can make this playoff chase even more interesting down the stretch. We will be back next week, maybe breaking down what the Orioles need to do to make that final stretch into the playoffs. He's Tim Leonard. I'm Brendan Mortensen. Make sure you are checking out the Mass and All Access podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you can get your podcasts, you can find the Mass and All Access podcast. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today. We'll see you next week.